Hello and welcome to episode 65 of On Liberty, coming to you live from the Center for Independent Studies in Sydney, Australia. I'm your host, Salvatore Bobonis, and joining me today is the Honorable Bridget McKenzie, Senator for Victoria and Senate Leader for the National Party. We'll be asking her about her new book, John McEwen, Right Man, Right Place, Right Time, and of course about the title character, John Blackjack McEwen. Senator Bridget McKenzie, how are you? Fantastic, Salvador. Great to be with you and your viewers. Oh, it's Live a streaming from lockdown Canberra and Parliament House, like so many Australians at the moment. <laughs> well, the rest of us aren't at Parliament House, but we are locked down. Um, look, you, I, I really enjoyed reading, uh, previewing this book on, on uh, John McEwen. I hadn't known the person before, but I can beg off that I'm American, <laughs> and so I don't have a responsibility. Um, but could you describe, you describe McEwen as a quote unquote, forgotten giant of Australian politics. For people who may not be as aware of him, can you tell us more about the man and his accomplishments? Yeah, thanks Salvador, and you're not alone. I, I think uh, one of the points that I make in my book is that too many Australians don't know the contribution that John McEwen made uh, as Prime Minister and through his 37 years in the Australian Parliament as leader of the country party. Uh, but part of that, I think, is my side of politics. We're not good at um, celebrating our giants uh, and making sure that the next generation of conservative politicians uh, understands and appreciates the contributions of those that went before as well as the left does. Uh, so I think part of what I wanted to do in my book was revisit um, McEwen's work uh, my good friend and colleague, Scott, Dr. Scott Prasser, um, asked me to write a book about uh, one of the National Party or Country Party's prime ministers, and I chose Blackjack because of the significance of his contribution. But when you delve into, and I interviewed a lot of people from John Howard to Peter Nixon, um, Ian Sinclair, who were both young protégés of McEwen, about the man he, he was and how he operated, you, you could understand and unpack a lot of his actions, but to actually understand and appreciate who he was as a man was much, much harder uh, to work out. So Blackjack, very humble beginnings, um, orphaned by, by seven, raised by his maternal grandmother, not born onto the land, wasn't a farmer by trade, uh, but became a soldier settler following, um, obviously enrolling in, in the armed forces. And then really um, speaking to his sort of drivenness, his work ethic uh, and his principles uh, drove himself to the highest office of the land. Uh, and I think, you know, um, it's a great indictment on us as a, a, a body politic and probably uh, a society more broadly that a man of his contribution hasn't been recognised for his contribution to economic policy, for the international trading framework we enjoy now, uh, particularly his contribution in the Kennedy round and setting up of anti-dumping measures, which protected uh, and facilitated Australia becoming a prosperous uh, trading nation. And one of the things I try and unpick, you sort of go, well, why, why was McEwen personified in this way as a protectionist? You've really got to situate him in his time and space in our political history to understand. So when I talk to someone like Peter Nixon, right, the former agriculture minister, hard man of the Doug Anthony um, prime ministership, he, um, deputy prime ministership, 
he says, well, no, he wasn't a protectionist at all. You completely misunderstand the man. So what I try and do is unpick that he was a trader first and foremost and he wanted to be a fair trader. He wanted a small fledgling formerly dependent on Britain nation like Australia post-Second World War to really become an independent uh, sovereign player on the international field. Thanks. And, you know, we are a live show, and I will say hello to some of our viewers who've already kind of checked in and said hi for us. So hello, Jan. Hello, Diane. Thanks for watching. The rest of you, you can start getting your questions in for Senator McKenzie. We will get to them in the second half of the show. Senator McKenzie, what is McEwenism? Can you give us some kind of definition of that as an ideology? Well, for me, uh, it's about nation building. Um, I think post McEwen, um, given that the Treasury view of the world uh, won the internal departmental war here in Canberra over the trade view of the world, uh, it was really McEwenism was rewritten as some form of hyper-protectionism, very bad for the country, and we should never revisit that um, philosophy again. But for me, it's about nation building. When you situate McEwen and his policies in the context of who we were as a very small nation post-Second World War, who'd suddenly realised that we're very, very far from home and our uh, formal, formal protection under the UK wasn't forthcoming uh, in the world, you know, in the Pacific era. It was really the US who came to uh, support us. So it was really changing who we were who we wanted to be, and he had a very strong vision for our country. He drove uh, immigration policy. He knew we needed a large population. He knew we couldn't rely on the sheep's back, so to speak, to um, drive our future prosperity, that we needed to develop a mining industry, that we needed to really develop our manufacturing capacity so that we didn't, the fragility of those supply chains sort of exposed during the Second World War uh, meant that as an island nation far away from Europe, uh, we needed to develop that capacity ourselves. So, it, and I think one of his greatest achievements was um, negotiating the Japanese economic partnership, uh, you know, within two decades of the war finishing. And really, given the, the heated emotion around that relationship here at home, uh, he had to really name that his own policy rather than the government's for fear of it actually not um, being, being successful. So it's about, for me, McEwenism is about backing our competitive advantage, um, pursuing national sovereignty, property rights, uh, and, and standing up for yourself and making sure that you develop a playing field and the rules in a way that supports you to be able to do that. Now, that Japan trade deal, if I remember right, was in 1957 or 50, so just a dozen years after yeah. the end of World War II. Many Australians, not only was there bombing of Darwin, but of course there were the Australian prisoners of war who had been in Japanese camps. So a lot of bad feelings. Now, I know that from your book that uh, McEwen not only was instrumental in that, but also in removing the constraints of the white Australia policy. Um, so what drove this you know, very maybe enlightened uh, Correct. Like, multiculturalism? 
Yeah, so I, I think this is one of the, you know, we can always tend to stereotype country party, national party people uh, that, you know, they're hayseeds or yokels, um, to probably use a North American term. Uh, but in quite contrary, um, this, this guy was a self-made man. He was an egalitarian. He took everyone on face value. And the things that he judged you by were... Uh, your work ethic, um, your commitment to um, the national sovereignty piece of Australia. So one of my chapters is about his um, patriotic nature and that's really how he assessed the calibre of, and let's face it, they were all men back then, but uh, the calibre of the men that he interacted with in the political sphere uh, by their patriotism and their, and their love and sense of duty to their country. So I think that's an important characteristic to really promote. And he wanted to see a broad, um, prosperous, sovereign country and dismantling the white Australia policy was absolutely a part of that. He wanted people to immigrate that were prepared to contribute and didn't care where you came from. And I think um, that is a very unique uh, perspective in that particular era that he was, he was around. But that seems to me a, a contrast with, you know, I think what many of us, at least from my reading of, um, you know, obviously I've been doing some homework reading around uh, McEwen over the last week. He seems to be regarded as a protectionist yes. in, Australian, in the Australian memory. That seems to be at odds with the idea of kind of an open-minded multiculturalist. Yeah, absolutely. And this is, uh, I guess, one of the reasons I wrote the book. I was sick of uh, his, him being misrepresented and therefore the National Party's contribution to our country uh, misunderstood. So when in the business of, um, you know, interviewing a raft of people, as I said, you know, when I interviewed John, John Howard, he himself said, well, Bridget, you know, I came into Parliament in the 70s. We were all protectionists back then. Now, that's John Howard, and you know, um, so it's important always, I think, that context. And then when uh, Peter Nixon actually said, no, no, he was never a protectionist, that really challenged, I really wanted to have a serious conversation with the, the public about that. And I just wanted to read, uh, you know, an example that came up uh, from the book. So um, Ralph Hunt was another young gun uh, in the country party ministry back in the day, one of his... Um, you know, mentorees, and he'd done this, uh, you know, uh, paper that he took to the Country Party Party Room uh, alongside a well-known free trade advocate, Senator Tom Bull. And according to Ralph Hunt, when he handed Blackjack this report, McEwen read no more than the executive summary <laughs> before tearing it up and throwing it in the bin. He was known as the hard man of politics. Um, Hunt remembered McEwen saying, that he'd fought and indeed nobody had fought harder than he to reduce global tariffs at the GATT, right? And he goes on, but because other nations had refused to reduce protection on key industries, and he's talking about the US, he's talking about the big countries out of Europe that were uh, part of those conversations, McEwen was not about to put Australian industry at a competitive disadvantage by reducing protection unilaterally. Now, that's a very different story, that he's the one arguing within the newly set up uh, international trading framework post-Second World War, so, you know, later to become the WTO, was McEwen arguing for a free trading environment. But because 
the big boys, the big end of town, weren't prepared to uh, unilaterally do the same, well, he wasn't going to put us at a disadvantage. I think that makes him a patriot, not a protectionist, and a pragmatist at the end of the day. And I think if you look at the country party and the national party, men and women uh, and country people more generally, it's it's less about philos and more about pragmatism. As I always like to remember, this is a live show. And the great benefit of that is that our viewers are often better educated on these issues than I am, especially on issues of Australian history. So I want to, we do have questions coming in from Bruce and Christopher. Uh, I'm going to go to Christopher first. He has a question about uh, the decline of Australian manufacturing, which happened really before I got here. So it's not part of my own memory of the country. And he's asking to what extent were pro-communist unions responsible for the decline of domestic manufacturing rather than protectionism being responsible for the decline of domestic manufacturing? Uh, hmm. Well, I think uh, there are a raft of reasons for the decline of manufacturing here in Australia. We did get into a situation where a very, you know, um, high-wage uh, production um, system, uh, and that's thanks to, in the main, our industrial relations systems, uh, particularly during the 80s and 90s. Uh, what I'm excited about is the rise of advanced manufacturing and the future of high-tech automation and the impact that that will have on us actually being able to return to uh, the halcyon days of being of making stuff here at home. And it's the National Party that's really driven that conversation here within the federal government. Um, so, you know, we've, the National Party's put out our own uh, manufacturing policy. We want to see 800,000 jobs. And they're in that sort of strategic areas where we already have competitive advantages. Uh, and recognising that COVID-19 has actually exposed not just our country, but countries all across the world to being hyper and over-reliant on other nations to supply our very basic goods and services. So I'm excited about where our government's going to take investment to grow manufacturing jobs in a way that um, McEwen would have loved. Now, I, I can't ask you not to be a politician because of course you are a serving senator, but you're also an historian. And I think what Christopher's oh, really nice, no, I'm actually a now. science teacher, but anyway, yes. <laughs> historian now, you've published the book and it's out yeah. there for us to read. Um, uh, do you have any thoughts on the pro-communist unions and what McEwen, how McEwen would have dealt with the unions in the 1950s, 60s, 70s? Uh, well, I, he's very much of the working class. So I think he um, was not a fan of unions. I mean, this is a guy that bought his first plot of land and uh, shot and ate rabbits for 12 months. That's the only thing because it was free um, and really built up his own, his own journey. That didn't mean he wasn't without compassion, um, but he was definitely not a union man. And I think when you look at what Whitlam did when he um, came to power in uh, the early 70s and, and went about dismantling um, McEwen's sort of system of uh, wage rises and um, protection measures and tariffs uh, for the manufacturing industry. Whitlam just came in and did it unilaterally and that decimated uh, working men and women's uh, livelihoods as a result. So 
he was no fan of the unions. He understood um, that they had a role to play, but he was very much a self-made man and wanted to give as many Australians as possible the opportunity to do the same. Now, forgive my ignorance. Um, is today's National Party the successor to the country party or is it the yes. same party as the country It's the same party. So, same party. Um, so in the 70s, um, we changed our name to the National okay. Party. But we are, we are a regionally-based party. We're one of the last in the world uh, that still has um, its whole sole focus okay. on regional development. Oh, I, I just wasn't sure if it was a, just a name change or, or a succession because we do have a leader, uh, a question from Bruce about McEwen as a leader of the country party. And he wants to know to what extent McEwen stood up specifically for the country party, specifically how much did he stand up to Menzies? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and, you know, people sort of say, oh, because he was such the hard man of politics he, and people talk about his presence um, and that that was enough to shift the mood in either an international negotiation or a branch meeting um, or around the cabinet table, there were only two times um, that McEwen said, you change your mind or wear out as a party. One of them was around, would you believe it, electoral reform. And uh, it was electoral reform um, that Menzies was quite keen on, uh, that it would have actually diminished representation for regional Australia and the country party. So McEwen said, you do that, we're out. So it was taken off the table. The second time was his very strong veto of Billy McMahon when Harold Holt uh, went missing off the coast of Portsea after a nice little swim uh, and the whole country a very young country was thrown uh, into uncertainty. It was McEwen who said to the Liberal Party and the Governor-General and to the man himself, Billy McMahon, we will not serve under you. Uh, and so that is how he became Australia's, um, the country party's third Prime Minister and last uh, because then the Liberal Party had to go through a process of electing a leader, etc., and they went on to pick Gorton, as you, those of uh, you on the line uh, from Australia will recall. Now, Gorton was a senator and he ended up being McEwen's pick because did McEwen know that he could control Gorton a bit better? Um, the reason he wouldn't pick Billy was he didn't trust him. He was a leaker out of Cabinet. Uh, he was dangerous for the nation. So they're the only two times uh, that McEwen said the coalition's over to Menzies. But uh, given his presence, given his, the, the way he used and wielded power, he had great power institutionally through his trade and industry department, he had great covert power uh, through uh, ASIO, et cetera, and he had great international power because he'd been uh, operating at that level for a number of decades. And he used all of that uh, to the betterment of the party and for regional Australia. And it was a great partnership between Menzies and McEwen. It's a golden era for Australia in terms of growth and development. Um, let me give a quick shout out to uh, viewers again, to Robin, to Anthony. And we do have a question from Anthony that's a bit technical for me, but I think, I'm sure you can handle it. Well, let's uh, what, <laughs> what's what's what, so, so he asks Senator McKenzie, what is your opinion of ministerial colleague Paul Hasluck's view that he promoted the national interest, that, that 
that McEwen promoted the national interest except when the national interest conflicted with the political interests of the country party. 100% correct. <laughs> and, but I think for McEwen, um, when the country, when regional Australia, when our industries are strong and prosperous, that is actually in the national interest. So he would argue, I would posit, that um, the national interest is always to ensure that rural and regional Australia is strong and prosperous. And so there is, it's very rare that those two things are in conflict. I mean, you look at it today, um, without our mining industry in this country, uh, we wouldn't be able to have hospitals and schools and fantastic roads in capital cities. That is a reality. If it wasn't for, you know, our nearly $70 billion agriculture industry, uh, you know, one in five Australians wouldn't be employed in trade-like um, employment. And so it still, is the, it still is the same in this nation. Rural and regional Australia needs to be strong and prosperous for our nation to be strong and prosperous. I should remind everyone that the book we're talking about is uh, Senator Bridget McKenzie's John McEwen, Right Man, Right Place, Right Time, which is available now from Connor Court. It was published last December. Um, Senator McKenzie, uh, McEwen, John McEwen was prime minister for 23 days, I have your word for it, in the summer of 1967-68. What did he do <laughs> with his... Uh, what did he do with his three weeks and two days at the time? Well, you know, um, I had um, the fabulous Paul Kelly launch my book um, late last year in Parliament House when we could all still um, gather in rooms. And um, he, he said, you know, it was an action-packed 23 days, uh, which I think we, we think, oh, it was just a caretaker prime minister. No, this was a guy, as I said earlier, that understood how to use power and he did not miss an opportunity. So he was um, prime minister for 23 days, but he made sure that he had his entire ministry sworn in as his ministry. It wasn't a caretaker prime ministership. Uh, the governor general um, swore his ministry as the McEwen ministry. Two days after Holt went missing, he was sworn in. And then he set about um, preparing for Holt's funeral or memorial service. Now, this was in the middle of the Vietnam War. And so we had um, President Johnson was a huge uh, fan of former Prime Minister Holt. And so he was heading over. And McEwen really used that memorial service as a political opportunity to get the allies in the room to discuss what they were going to do about the Vietnam War. Uh, he used it to ensure that uh, US troops were going to be eating Australian sugar uh, as a result of a deal that he did um, with LBJ. Uh, and he also used it to ensure that the Liberal Party didn't elect Billy McMahon as their leader, that he could secure the fact um, that Gorton would be the next Prime Minister and that would be someone that he could work with. Now, oh, I feel that. Sorry, the bells are ringing. I'm just checking. It's like Pavlov's dog when you're an MP. It's green bells. It's not red bells, so I don't have to go. Um, so it really was action-packed. And I think for McEwen, there was a moment where, you know, he thought maybe him, maybe he could be uh, Prime Minister himself. We know that Murdoch, 
uh, was heavily involved. It wasn't just a war between McMahon and McEwen and the Liberal Party and the Country Party, but between Fairfax and uh, the fledgling Murdoch Empire at that time as well. So I go on to discuss uh, a whole raft of meetings and um, relationships uh, which sort of, in the end, secure the Gorton Prime Ministership. But unfortunately, I think for the Nats, um, but maybe fortunately, it was the end of the Menzies-McEwen um, era and there would never again be a country party Prime Minister. So McEwen was our last. Forever we would be secured the Deputy Prime Ministership, uh, but forevermore the Liberals during that period um, ensured that the Liberal Party would always hold the Prime Ministership, that, that a McEwen-like situation could never happen to them again. Well, never say forever. Uh, what, what, would, what, would, what would McEwenism mean for policy today? I mean, if, if we were to have a Prime Minister McEwen next year, what would he do? Well, I think uh, McEwenism, and that's my final chapter, is, you know, um, the new McEwenists post-COVID, uh, we do need a, a recovery plan that is very much in the mould of the Menzies-McEwen post-World War II approach to building a strong, prosperous, sovereign nation. I mean, we've got geopolitical risks uh, as far as the eye can see. Um, our allies um, can have other things on their mind at times and our ability to deliver um, goods and services has been challenged by the fragility of those global supply chains that I mentioned. So I think, I think McEwenism, as I define it, um, not as protectionism but as nation building and, and economic expression of egalitarianism, I think is as relevant now as ever. And it really means that we need to be focusing on security. Um, we need to make sure that we have the ability to defend ourselves. I mean, Greg Sheridan stated recently the chief security damage of the virus is that it cuts our population growth and we should address that as a priority. I mean, and I've been speaking even this week about having a population policy post opening up our borders that actually ensures uh, we can continue to grow and prosper. That is very McEwen. Um, supporting our primary industries plus our secondary industries. So the advanced manufacturing um, goals that we've set as a, a country party and, and in coalition with the Liberal Party are really, really important. We need to expand our markets. That's very McEwen. And we need to pursue our independence. I mean, one of McEwen's great quotes um, about foreign investment in agri cultural assets, but you could apply it across the board, as he was very cautious of Australia selling the farm off one piece at a time. And so we need to be aware of the risks to our national sovereignty and not to just carte blanche swallow the laissez-faire approach um, to life and to international trade. We've got to keep our national interest first and foremost. And I think that is what we're striving to do as a government. I think it's what the Australian public expect us to be patriots. And I'm hoping that we um, develop COVID-19 recovery plan um, that backs our regions. Senator McKenzie, I'm very conscious of your time. I just put a link to your book in the chat window on YouTube. I hope people will check it out. Let me just ask you one final question. In your book, you do say that 
quote, we are all McEwenists now <laughs> in the time of coronavirus. What did you mean by that? Well, I think we're all patriots now. I mean, you see what Australians are doing now as they realise what we need to do as a nation to get rid of the lockdowns. We need to get vaccinated. We need to get vaccinated fast. We've got 17 million Australians doing that. Um, you're not, you're here seeing um, an exodus from capital cities to the regions that you haven't seen before. You've seen Australians prepared to invest in industries and not expect the market to wholly and solely look after things. And for the role of government to be about backing the comparative and competitive advantages of industries and regions in a way that they haven't been prepared to do for the last three decades, because the risk is real. The risk is real to our national sovereignty. So um, I'm confident that McEwen provides us real and tangible lessons on how to approach the political challenges of the 21st century. Senator Bridget McEwen, thank you very much for joining us today. Always a pleasure. And thanks also to our producer, Nick O'Malley, executive producer, Max Hawk Weaver. The director of the Center for Independent Studies is Tom Switzer. Next week, we will have our very own Scott Prasser discussing his new book on Royal Commissions and Public Inquiries. We hope you will see us then next week on On Liberty.